Welcome to the Tucson Bitcoin Podcast. I'm stoked. I've got Max Kaiser on today with me. We just finished wrapping up a live stream. Also joining me is Stephen Cole, uh, who's a good buddy of mine. He runs the Phoenix meetups. He's been on the podcast. This probably is third time on. Um, we'll definitely have him on in the future again. Uh, but yeah, we got into it. We talked about Max's event that he's going to be hosting up in Phoenix on Thursday. I'm really stoked about it. They're going to, it's just going to be a blast. We got Bitcoiners from, you know, all over the country, all over the world coming, and we get to showcase how awesome the Arizona Bitcoin scene is. And I hope to see you there. If you're not there, I don't know what you're doing. But uh, yeah, we, we had a lot of fun in this. We talked about, you know, how fiat money's dying how the dinosaurs in uh, fiat finance are going to fight back, how government's going to fight back, what that might look like, global adoption of Bitcoin. That, that's one of the things that's got me the most excited is about what people are doing with Bitcoin around the world, how they're escaping their totalitarian regimes and fiat currencies uh, for something you know monumentally better. Um, but yeah, it was kind of fun getting into. Uh, before we start, I... We're going to be hosting a meetup in Sierra Vista, Arizona uh, on the 28th. Uh, really, it's, it's a Saturday. I'm really stoked about this. We're, I, I want to see Bitcoin meetups launch in every corner of Arizona. And so if you're a Bitcoin somewhere in Arizona, reach out to me. Let me know. Be happy to help you out. Uh, give you guys some support. You know, Some places I really like to see are Yuma and Flagstaff, uh, as well as Pine Top. I mean, I bullish on bitcoin meetups wherever you know you are even if you have a small town uh because the the stakes are high we need people people need bitcoin right now they can't afford to you know be watching housing prices double in five years and watching this inflation continue to grow and have all their savings debased like they need bitcoin but yeah really stoked on this conversation hope you enjoy it looks like we're live oh great are we at least zoom claims so now we're live meeting is being live streamed it says got it pretty stoked thanks guys for doing this on such short notice i would never pass up the chance to chat with you gentlemen uh so yeah 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 i'm, I'm trying to multitask here Cool. Well, well, you know, we're all we're all live streaming all the time, aren't we? We're live. We're live. This is the Truman Show. Always, always be stacking stats. Always. It's the Truman Show. So yeah, Max, I I have a couple of your uh, clips on my soundboard that I use periodically. Yeah. Big fan. Got the one. Got the one with you uh, debating Peter Schiff. You failed. That it's a new technology that is as profound as the printing press. And then uh, yeah. the one I think you were talking to the newscaster ripping up the money. Do you know that with oh. the Bitcoin I have, I can buy any freaking senator or congressman I want? I make the laws. He who has the Bitcoin makes the law. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A couple of classics right there. Great moments. Flawless. Yeah. yeah, it's good to have Steven on too. So Steven... Uh, has really 
been instrumental in creating kind of a massive Bitcoin movement across Arizona. We're now running three meetups. Um, I, I appreciate that, man. You started it. You laid the groundwork. You've been doing building the Tucson scene for quite a while now. Yeah, we're we're done with it. We're done with this fiat garbage. Love it. Arizona is low-key freedom territory. Yeah, so far, you know, we're having this event on Thursday at uh, Last Exit Live. And um, so the turnout's pretty good. You know, initially we were thinking, well, you know, uh, Phoenix might not be as big a market as Austin or LA or New York, but uh, it, it's becoming, you know, pretty exciting. There's a, there's a real vibrancy here, very exciting stuff. Yeah, I think the timing is just perfect for you guys to come out here. I'm really stoked. I think people are going to have a lot of fun. As am I. I'm stoked for Thursday. So what can yeah, we it feels good. Well, you know, the point of these, uh, you know, is to go to different places and kind of showcase what's happening locally. And, to, and it's like a meetup, but we try to add uh, actual, like more pizzazz to, the, to a meetup. You know, meetup, generally people meet up and they chat. And, you know, so we're trying to make it like a supercharged meetup and um music have it really like in a music venue uh so with a stage you know and we have a lot of people uh some sponsors come in so it's like a little almost like a mini conference we say it's all all party no conference it's like all the best parts of the of the conference are when people are kind of hanging out at the bar so we just have that that for it and so we're just trying to do as many of these as we can uh, you know response has been good but you know, showcase local people like Fold is here, uh, Steve Cole is here, you know, people that are big in the community, um, put them geographically where they are, because, you know, usually in uh, online, people like lose track geographically where people are. Uh, so we get to see, you know, who's actually where and how they're all working together. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. Feels like it's got a good energy to it. Do you guys have a, a next place on your radar for After Phoenix? Uh, well, the next place we're going is Paris. Uh, we got booked to do an event in Paris, and uh, it's basically a private event. There's a company called Paymium there. I guess it's the biggest Bitcoin exchange in Europe. So they heard about this fuck Elon tour, and they have booked us. And, you know, it's interesting in Europe, they're, and particularly in France, they're very uh, anti-authoritarian in in france you know it goes back obviously to their to their creation of, and the revolution and everything and um so they're, they're having a lot of fun with it and then so that'll be september and then looking forward to november and december we'll have, we'll have to see you know, a couple of cities that pop out that that seem like good ones would be nashville there's a big scene in nashville a lot of venues in nashville and um you know i'm tr trying not to necessarily go back to miami new york LA, um, you know, try to go to different cities and other cities that I, I don't know. Like, I don't really know Nashville. I've never been to Nashville. So it's a chance for us to actually go to places, explore places and get to know them. So it, it's pretty up in the air. You know, this Eventbrite app that I use is incredible. You can just set this whole thing up on the app, um, really um, find a venue, book the venue, the, the ticketing app, check people in. <laughs> it's just the whole thing is done, really. I'm just working the phone here. Uh, it's just amazing with the world we live in, what we can do on apps these days. Good yeah. stuff. Nashville's one of my favorite cities. 
I've never been either. I would love to visit. And if I'm not mistaken, the Bitcoin Magazine headquarters is out there too. So probably a good little core group of Bitcoiners. Yeah, All right. Know. All right. That's good to know. I don't know what it's been like over the past year, but you just have amazing music. And uh, if you don't like country music, Nashville will make you like country music. Just walking up and down Broadway. Good barbecue, good music. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Yeah. Guys, yeah. yeah. Oh. Go ahead. Do you guys pick a drink for the event? Uh, we have Jen, the bartender in the uh, Orange Pill Telegram group who kind of uh, comes up with our designer cocktails. I'm not sure exactly what will be featured uh, at this event uh, yet. I I'm still in the dark about that. <clears throat> gotcha. Oh, yeah. I should mention we have four tickets to give away to Bitcoin 2022. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Four tickets to give away to Bitcoin 2022. Plus, we have a lot more stuff from our sponsors that they sent over that will be giving that stuff away as, as well. So, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good deal. Good deal. Oh, good and a lot of fun. And they recently unveiled the details, right, for Bitcoin 2022. So it's Miami again, and it's uh, April 6th to the 9th, I believe. Right? Yeah, Miami Convention Center. So yep. it's a different venue, big venue, looks good. Miami. They're saying like 35,000 for next year, they're expecting. Yeah, they're, they're really broadening the mission uh, to being, you know, the, the cultural zeitgeist of Bitcoin defining this generation. And um, similar, I guess, to the way Woodstock did back in the 60s. And so it's just this huge festival of uh, peace, love, and Bitcoin. Awesome. Yeah, that's it. Attendees going parabolic like the Bitcoin price. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think one of the good things is that there'll be a lot more people that are maxis by that time to kind of chase the shit coiners out. <laughs> Well, it's a battle, you know, the, uh, the shit coiners are, are bringing in, you know, more firepower, right? So they're, they're bringing in the Silicon Valley people and uh, the clueless billionaires. And um, so they're really prepping for the front, you know, some more battles. The uh, central bank digital currencies are getting ready to enter the fray. You know, it's going to be a battle, you know, I mean, this Bitcoin, the Bitcoin's journey has always been one of uh, it's been battling through the FUD, battling through uh, the shitcoiners. You know, it's been, it's been, it's been, you know, uh, a battle. Um, so I, I think that the battle is is going to become more intense. I really do. I mean, uh, you know, the regulators are figuring out what to do. No, nobody who whose life depends on fiat money and shitcoins is just going to roll over. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna put up a fight. Yeah, it seems like they've got fat marketing budgets, and now the uh, the warfare is digital. It's the information warfare now, right? And so uh, the battlefield is Twitter, the battlefield is YouTube, and there's a lot of psychology to it. Uh, but yeah, I'm optimistic about the intransigent minority of Bitcoiners who get this. And Bitcoin's been number one for the 12 years it's existed, despite no marketing budget, no employees, not, none of the uh, advantages, so to speak, that any of the shitcoins have. Right. Well, it fulfills a, a human need that, um, so that's its, its reason to exist. And it does so in such an elegant, brilliant way, an accessible way that 
you can just see how it's going to completely dominate going forward. And um, just the, um, the, the pushback, though, from the, the, those who are challenged by it is, is going to get more, more intense. I, I, you know, I, it's just going to get more intense. I, I, I know I, I, that's, what I, that's what I mean. That's what I say. What do you think the attack vectors are going to look like? I think that um, the attack vectors are going to be, um, you know, basically no holds barred, and there's going to be uh, the greatest uh, development in the last few months. I would say would be the number of U.S. senators that are now Bitcoiners. So we have that fifth column inside government. That that's really this where I think we'll 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 make a big difference. You know, as the percentage of Congress uh becomes bitcoiners the number of governors and mayors across the across the country once they flip uh that that's really the the, the uh, where where i think the we have the greatest uh traction yeah i would plus one that as well it's been really cool to see uh senator lummis um among a couple of others who seem to really get this appreciate what bitcoin is and can bring to society and when you think about the progression of Bitcoin, you know, I, th I think Bitcoin's inevitable. And whether it is this dark, violent, dystopian upgrade path, or whether it's this peaceful, like we all hold hands and walk into the orange future together, um, you know, I think it's it's like understand what that whole spectrum looks like, prepare for the worst, hope and build for the best. But man, when I see senators and members of government organizations start to get it and start to opt into it, it really makes me optimistic that the, the peaceful, awesome path is going to be the way. I'm not very optimistic. I think it's going to get intense. <laughs> <laughs> prepare for the work. Prepare for that. Yeah. I mean, play defense for sure um, in case it is not that. But uh but I'm an optimist. Well, I, yeah, I see some, you know, there's been, particularly in the last few days, there's some kind of discussion about the semantics of Bitcoin. And the, 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 you know, like you have white blood cells in your body and they attack the invaders. It attacks viruses, right? And it destroys those viruses. You know, it's destructive. The white blood cells are not pussyfooting around. They're not trying to talk the viruses into behaving better. They go out and they get them. And, you know, Bitcoin, on some level, you can say that similar to a white blood cell, it's going after fiat money. It's seeking out fiat money where it can and going after it. So uh, on a level that, you know, it's not, it's aggressive. The, the protocol is aggressive. Uh, the result is this hard money environment in the hard money world that and I and, and you can say demonetizes war and it and it monetizes peace you know it demonetizes war and what's left is peace that's the result but on, on its on its uh, operational level it's 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 you know aggressive you know the the difficulty adjustment is a hacking people's minds um in an aggressive way the result that the protocol has on some people like Nassim Taleb or Peter Schiff or Nouriel Roubini, right? They, they are having a reaction that's really quite uh, pronounced, right? They're not, they're not just saying, well, it's cute, but I'm not interested. 
I mean, they are, they are uh, staking their entire careers and losing, right? So that, that's, that's pretty, that, that's aggressive. It's aggressive. So, um, but th this is not to be unexpected because nature is full of this duality of aggression and, and, and what's non-aggression. I mean, if you look out into the forest and you see, oh my God, it's so beautiful, right? But under, on the ground in the forest, there's a lot of aggressive things going on. You know, bugs are attacking each other and everyone's, you know, attacking everybody else. I mean, that's what's happening um, with life. So Bitcoin mimics life. It is a life force and some say it has, it's, it's self-aware. I mean, I think you can make the case that it's a self-aware, you know, being that is on its own vector and it's, um, and, and, and so we're seeing that play out. The result is, is peace because it demonetizes war. But the protocol itself seems like, like a white blood cell or something else you'd find in nature is, is, is pretty aggressive. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that discussion this week has been fascinating. I don't remember the name of the gentleman who sort of injected that new content into the conversation. He was on LinkedIn, I believe, and kind of in the military space, a uh, younger guy, and now has uh, been going hard on Twitter. And the reactions have been mixed, but overall, I think it's really healthy for us and for the ecosystem. I know it's got me thinking critically about what is sort of, you know, is this some zero sum game? Uh, what is attack? What is defense? What is violent? What is peaceful? Um, and just the, the nature of all that and the semantics around it. Right. Another I still, word. Go ahead. Sorry. 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 Yes. I still love describing, you know, I do think Bitcoin is the most peaceful revolution in history. Um, and I love that narrative. It resonates with me and I genuinely believe it to be true. But, uh, but yeah, when you think about it in terms of like an immune system, like white blood cells and like some of what you were describing in nature, there is this, um, you know, in order to play defense and protect the value that one creates in the world, there is some amount of sort of violence to that. Um, so how to characterize all that gets very nuanced. But, um, but yeah, I think Bitcoin's the most peaceful upgrade we've ever had. Right. It is, it is peace. It is love. And um, it is there is a, a, a bloodless coup, so to speak, you know, there, it is a re revolution going on and it's, it's unlike any we've seen because people are simply by adopting and hodling Bitcoin, they're mean, demonetizing war. Okay. Yep. But the people who are being demonetized are not just going to roll over. <laughs> you know, totally. Gonna... So now another word that came up this, this past week, which was kind of interesting is this word voluntary. Um, versus let's say a word like involuntary. So the discussion points around this idea, well, people voluntarily get into Bitcoin. Nobody's quote unquote forcing them. And okay, that's true. Um, but if you look at the protocol again, as this white blood cell immune response, it happens involuntarily, right? So the white blood cells in our body involuntarily go after the virus. We don't put the command out. We don't get the message in our brain like, hey, there's an invader in your liver. 
you should send out a white blood cell, click yes to agree or click no to disagree, right? It's involuntary, it just goes. That's the way, that's the way the DNA is programmed of human being over a long, long time of evolution. So similarly, Bitcoin is going after the fiat money involuntarily, right? So there's not, it's, it, it's, there's not a voluntary um, action. Um, number one. Number two, on the subject of are people voluntarily or involuntarily deciding to go into Bitcoin? So let's just take that apart for a second. And I'm not making a conclusion here and now, but just look at it, take, take apart the pieces for a second. If in fact, since 1971, we live in an all fiat world and, um, the, and controlled by the central bankers. And we know that they're increasing the fiat money by trillions and trillions. And the rate at which they're increasing the fiat money has gone up exponentially. And we know that that has the impact of debasing our purchasing power of our money. That is to say the value of our work the value of our savings, the value of, of, our, of our sovereignty, right? So they're, they're doing that in a way that is, uh, is, is, pretty, is pretty off the charts. It's pretty crazy. So at some point, and we saw this, for example, in Cyprus, you know, when, when, the, when the, Cyprus, the Cypriot government decided to pull people's money out of their bank accounts, people, you know, moved over to Bitcoin. So... In other words, you could make the case, again, semantics would come into play here, but you could make the case that those people were forced to buy Bitcoin due to the actions of the fiat money players. So there's, I think that there's an element there that might want to come into one's consideration of this, of this conversation, because if the fiat money people continue to print money that the way that they are, it's going to force people to buy Bitcoin. Certainly in countries where they're hyperinflating, they're forcing people to buy Bitcoin. And um, so there's, and, and again, as Bitcoin makes inroads, inroads into the fiat money world and, those, and, and they get more and more threatened. We, remember that the only response that the fiat money world has to any problem is to print more money. You know, like Joe Biden, for example, you know, here we have a big crisis in Afghanistan. And the only thing we've heard out of the Biden administration is that they're going to increase food stamps by 25%, the biggest leap in food stamp printing in the history of food stamps. That's their response, always. It's always to print more money. There's never diplomacy. There's never any nuance. There's never any context. There's never any attempt to look at the root problem. They only print money. And, and so that means everyone's equity is debased. So that's that's not right. So it's, they're forcing people to, they're forcing this confrontation. You know, so I guess the point is that it's not really that Bitcoins are, Bitcoiners are deciding it's voluntary, it's not force, it's all about peace. Okay, that's great. But we're living in an environment now that's for the first time in history, all fiat money, never happened before. There's only 50, this is the 50 year anniversary of this experiment. And those people have decided in, in, in cahoots, collusion, all the major central banks are gonna hit the gas and they're gonna print. And, and you know, if you, if you, if, how, how is this not an attempt by that group to create a permanent underclass, right? The, the serfdom by using that printed money 
to buy every productive capacity, all, all corporate mergers, all productive capacity of the economy owned by those who are doing the money printing. How is that not an enormous problem? And so the time seems imminent. I, you know, I, don't, I just hope that people, I hope this message gets out that, that the time to get into Bitcoin is, is now. I mean, I don't, I don't see, there's, there's not much of a grace period left, really. Uh, the, ur the urgency is, is, is pressing in my view. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to think about it in those terms too of um, the immune system and almost information signals that are passed back and forth that trigger these responses, you know? And, and to your point, a lot of it when it comes to our immune system and our biology is this involuntary reaction. It's just biochemical and it simply occurs. And you can almost think of the, the legacy fiat system and the central banking system as this system that everyone is in. And I think in large part, they remain in it because the information signals about money have been dampened. It's, it's hidden right behind all of this complicated jargon. So no one feels their purchasing power being taken from them, right? That's the, the insidious brilliance of the central banking paradigm is that, you know, hundreds of years ago, if the government wanted your, the wealth you created in the world, they had to like send a tax collector out on a horse to go and take your crops or your money or your, you know, whatever the resource is. And so that was just very tangible. Like you could feel what you made in the world being taken from you. And because it was so easy to see that there were revolts and there were revolutions and people didn't, you know, they were, they were very, they played defense and you couldn't take too much from people because the people would revolt. And yeah, the, the horrible brilliance, the yeah. yeah, the horrible brilliance of central banking is that nobody can feel what's being taken from them. And so now, as you know, I think for the last few decades, since 1971, the government and the central banks have done a good job of boiling the frog, right? They've, they've done it slow enough that it's not obvious what's happening. But now with the magic of the internet and Twitter and less centralized forms of communication, we can talk about how central banking works. More people are beginning to have their eyes opened to this system. And they can, now that the money printing is really kicking into high gear, they can feel prices rise. They can feel stuff getting more expensive. And so that, like, finally, these information signals are making it to them and triggering that response of like, wow, should I do something about this? Should I opt in to this parallel system, this Bitcoin thing and store my value there? And so... One could even make the case that since Bitcoin was brought into existence 12 years ago, it has just kind of been, it was set in motion. And now it's just a matter of those information signals being received. Yeah, it's yeah good point. The information signals uh, are obfuscated. And then, but as you point out, the, right now we're seeing real inflation. And so that's the signal is breaking through and that's sounding the alarm. Totally agree. Housing in Tucson has doubled in five years. And I think that is just absolutely insane. And I agree with you, Max, on the urgency of this. Of it, This is a matter of survival for a lot of people. And um, that's part of the reason why I, you know, am toxic. Like we, we have 
these central bankers that are doing things that are truly evil and stealing from people. And like you said, trying to create an underclass of people and they do it just without any regard whatsoever. And this is what we're battling right now is we're battling for self-preservation and human freedom. And the stakes are extremely, extremely high. Yeah. Right. And so, for example, the state's increasing food stamps, as they have radically under Biden's suggestion, right? They're buying votes. They're buying allegiance. They're buying people to, to come on their side. And um, that that's going to be a, a problem going forward, because as millions of people rely entirely on transfer payments and are completely a war to the state, those people are not going to be happy to give it up to go over to Bitcoin. Um, so that's one of the how they're. That's one of the, the conflicts that we that we have. You know, the money printing is going to be loved by the majority of folks, right? Particularly as the if the inflation kicks in. And you know, I have this conversation with progressives all the time. You know, they they I go on progressive podcasts and I try to talk about this. And you know, they they're all for we need more money printing. We need more relief for homeowners and renters. We need more uh, you know med, med, Medicaid. We need more uh, food stamps. And, you know, the point that the money printing means that any gains you make with that fiat money is made up for and then some by the inflation. So net net, you're actually doing worse for yourself. They, they don't they don't they don't want to take that on board because they have that high money preference, right? That high, high time high time preference. I mean, they're just thinking about the next day. Like I need a ham sandwich today. And I, I, I kind of know what you're saying, but I got it. You know, I need my ham sandwich today and I'm not going to think about it. The government knows it and they're, they're recruiting aggressively with their money printing. So that's going to be an issue going forward. Yeah, it's like the, uh, the Cantillon effect to the max, just getting cranked up. So the people who are closest to that spigot where the new money pops into existence benefit the most from it. And they get to use that money to scoop up assets for themselves. The Black Rocks of the world get to buy all of the residential real estate. Um, they get to give the money to their buddies for favors and kind treatment. And then that just widens the, the gap in wealth inequality, exacerbates it. And you, you have this ruling class when you take that to its fullest extent. With, yep. the, with the progressives, like welfare doesn't generate any sort of wealth. It actually, you know, for the most part, like it can be used positively. I'm not a supporter of welfare, but just, you know, to give it the benefit of the doubt, it can use be used positively as like a, you know, immediate like uh, fix. Like if somebody doesn't have a home to get them off the streets, but that doesn't help them in the long run in the slightest. Like you can't buy a house with food stamps and you can't, you know, create a business with food stamps you can't generate any sort of wealth it actually incentivizes people not to max have you ever had a conversation with jimmy Dore before on this topic yeah yeah i was on his show we talked about it I, I was a guest on his show and we went through this whole thing about the inflation how they hide inflation how it's a real problem and how money printing makes it worse how bitcoin is kind of the answer to it and, uh, you know, he gave me a forum to talk about it and he owns some Bitcoin and he's like, you know, it sounds, he, he's a bit curious and uh, I'd say more than other folks. 
uh, perhaps. But again, you know, with all, within every single camp, there's always going to be some Bitcoin people in, in every single camp. Um, you know, there's going to be a few people for whom Bitcoin makes sense who, that resonate. And then they, they act as that fifth column inside whatever group that might be. And, and so they're, they're working to, to transform that group. So I guess there's a, an analogy in biology as well, where one, one speed, you know, it's an, like the invasive clownfish, right? <laughs> the, the, the lionfish. It's, it, it comes from one area of the world and it, turn, it shows up in another area of the world. And before you know it, the, that new area of the world is entirely made up of lionfish and everything else is gone. So, you know, Bitcoin has a way to convert all ecosystems into a Bitcoin ecosystem. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's a, it, one thing that I've been thinking a lot about recently is that Bitcoin maximalism is open-minded. And I think there's this, uh, there's this intuitive sense that some people have when they hear Bitcoin maximalists say, oh, it's just going to be, it's just going to be Bitcoin. One global money for the future, all these other coins are going to zero, they're worthless. And they say, that can't be true. How can you be so close-minded to think that one thing is going to rule and that there's no room for all these other things? And I think that's a function of the fiat paradigm that we've existed in. And because governments have this monopoly on violence, they've been able to force people into these different fiat buckets and then to profit as people have to move between those fiat buckets. And so I think it's actually more open. Like at first I was close-minded because I thought it would be this multi-coin future. You know, when I started learning about this space, I thought, yeah, sure, multi-coin future makes sense. Maybe there'll be one cryptocurrency for this and maybe one for this city, one for this country, all of that. And I think that was me being too close-minded. I think that was me just assuming that the future has to look like the present without considering why the present looks the way that it does. But the simplest configuration for the world is one, just simply one measure of value, one global store of value. And now that we are all digitally connected for the first time in history, that's feasible. We can, we have the means to achieve it and the strongest money can really win globally. But it takes being, I, I would argue, it takes being open-minded to arrive at that conclusion. And so I wanna flip that Bitcoin maximalism is closed-minded on its head. I think it's the complete opposite. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. You know, there's um, there, there's this uh, I you see it playing out globally. So in countries where the they don't have really the luxury of debating this point, they're just becoming hyper Bitcoinized. So in Nigeria, right, thirty two percent of the country is now on Bitcoin. Vietnam, Chile, other countries that um, they they just understand instinctively that this is how they're going to extricate themselves from a very messed up fiat money economy around the world. And only in countries like the US or the UK, which are chiefly the beneficiary of having the fiat money, where you, do you find this uh, kind of uh, hesitancy or pushback or um, you know, the, the positioning Bitcoiners as toxic, right? It, it, that doesn't happen in Nigeria. There are no toxic Bitcoiners in Nigeria. There's only Bitcoiners and everyone else trying to be a Bitcoiner, right? So that's just marketing 
in the shit coins in the fiat world that can afford marketing. Bitcoin has no marketing. There's no central place that would put out any marketing. But for uh, the shit coiners or the fiat coiners, you know, they spend billions on marketing. And if they need more marketing, they print more, right? They can print more of the shit coin. They can print more of the fiat. So, uh, and we live in a world that is driven in large part by marketing, uh, you know, has kind of taken over in, in a big way. And people are, have very, very weak defenses against marketing. You know, this is why memes are so incredible because they go around all the standard gatekeepers of marketing and they just hit people on a subconscious or an unconscious level in a way that we saw change the 2016 election, right? Because Hillary Clinton was completely destabilized by a Pepe the Frog meme, which just put her completely, you know, was outside of her billion dollar marketing budget. And suddenly she was floundering publicly about a Pepe the Frog meme. And um, that impacted the results of, of a major election, right? So, the, you know, Bitcoin, like memes hits at an unconscious level that we respond to as human beings that know the marketing gatekeepers uh, ultimately will fail against and there are no toxic bitcoin maximalists in nigeria there are only bitcoiners i'll say that yeah that's super interesting the yeah, meme warfare is real and i'm here for it <laughs> the meme warfare is real definitely it's funny watching the White House hire like TikTokers to put out their propaganda and try and replicate that. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, I heard, I heard that they were paying, they were looking for uh, people with between 10 and 30,000 followers to, uh, and they were going to like compensate them for promoting uh, like pro vaccine information, like regardless of how you feel, like whether, you know, the vaccine is something you support or you don't, uh, that just strikes me as strange, <laughs> you know, a, a government entity needing to go and like find people with that kind of a following and then pay them to hype their marketing. Well, it shows that they don't have any confidence in their position as uh, author with the authoritative truth, right? You would think that the U.S. government would have confidence that people would take them seriously. But when they but when they notice that nobody takes what they're messaging seriously at this point, they go out there and they enter the meme wars. But so it's a sad comment really on the, the ability of the press corps of the White House not to be taken seriously by anyone. 100%. It is really funny. It's interesting to watch the cathedral burn right now and them to just not have any sort of coherent narrative. Like, I feel like when any um, politician is talking, they're talking to a small subset rather than the majority of the country. And there's this amazing fracturing that's happening. But yeah. Well, we know we see that in, in, in the central bank. So the central bank distributes all the cash to the Wall Street Bank, and the Wall Street banks hold on to the cash and they don't distribute it. And you get the contillant effect, and money velocity goes to zero. So the messaging from the White House, it goes out to the mainstream media, CNN, MSNBC, and others. And then they don't distribute it in a way as journalists in a way that would be useful as information. They hoard it, they manipulate it. They, they essentially use it for themselves to give themselves these huge multi-gazillion dollar salaries. Uh, 
right? If they were just doing their job and to disseminate information from the White House, they would be paid like regular broadcast journalists. That is to say, one one hundredth of their current pay. But they get paid like Jamie Dimon because they do the same thing as Jamie Dimon. They, um, they are gatekeepers for what should be readily available information. And they use it for to aggrandize their own careers. Yeah. It seems like they're cracking down and trying to put the gates up and, you know, eliminate any sort of um, individual content creators. And I kind of live under the assumption I'm going to get banned um, probably in the near future. Uh, do you have any plans for that, Max? Of how you're <laughs> well, I, I also do these live shows. So, you know, the great thing about live theater going all the way back to Greek times is that, you know, um, you, you take it to the directly to the people via uh, on the stage. That's the whole purpose of theater, and the great dramatists going back 2,700 years were able to uh, simply uh, go right into people. So we we'll just do can do more live, uh, which is fine, and um, you know I, I like to um, you know I never really come out and with a didactic this is the way it is type of thing. I like to be, uh, you know, be sarcastic or sardonic or, sardonic or um, you know, um, satirical to, to give cover because it's very hard to ban satire. Satire is generally the last form of speech that gets banned. So people say, Hey, Max is crazy, and why does Max say and do these things? Because I'm putting a satirical shield between me and the censors, because it, it's hard for people to, to censor stuff that's so obviously satirical. But, uh, you know, at, at some point, if you remove all sat satire, then you end up with uh, you know, North Korea, right? There's no satire in North Korea, right? All satire is punishable by death. Uh, so that that's you know, if, if, if some of these other countries want to go down that path, then uh, ho hopefully we won't go down that path. <laughs> yeah, and it, it has been cool, I think, to uh, what you all have been doing with building up the community around like your Orange Pill podcast and the Telegram group and all of that, just so in the event that the uh, mainstream platform such as Twitter if they dial up the censorship and if things become more fractured and balkanized, then, you know, you can still reach people. Yeah, this is the one year anniversary of Orange Pill podcast. So we've been on it, we've been doing it exactly one year and it's grown really, really well. And uh, I think we've kind of established a good uh, format, good, a good, uh, uh, you know, thing going on. It's a great cool podcast. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So it's relentless optimism is the message. And um, we just Renaissance 2.0, uh, all, all the positive attributes about Bitcoin. You know. But again, you know, it's not, um, it's not about joining hands and singing Kumbaya. I mean, there is, there's a lot, it's multidimensional, there's a lot going on, particularly as the, uh, as the, the, the folks that are being who perceive this as a threat to them, I mean, they're going to be increasingly more agitated, I would say. Yeah, it makes sense. 
I love the definite. Uh, I try to strive for definite optimism. And I think the ecosystem needs more of that. Just people who want to see a better future, but understand that it's not guaranteed. And in order to have it, we got to build. I think where I'm really optimistic is in the plebs and in the normal everyday people that are not going to just roll over and die. And I think we're seeing that. I'll tell you what makes me so happy and optimistic about the future is when I explain Bitcoin to Silicon Valley venture capitalists or the sort of like, you know, Wall Street elitist types and they dismiss it and they sneer at it and they turn their nose up. And then the next day I'll be in a gas station in a rural town and explain it to you know a few people who I meet there and it just really resonates with them quickly and they think wow like nobody really and nobody can take the value of my hard work this thing sounds cool you can tell they're curious and they're interested the more that that dynamic continues the more optimistic I become about the future I love seeing that when it's dismissed by sort of the the, the class that benefits the most from the Cantillon effect that we have today and the people who are being taken advantage of most by the system we have today, just it, they get it and they, they want to go explore it. Love to see that. You guys got any thoughts on Mark Cuban? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I saw him tweet uh, just this morning, actually. Uh, he was replying to some stuff about his most recent Dogecoin tweets. So, right, I guess the Dallas Mavericks team he owns is taking Dogecoin for merchandise. He thinks Doge is hot shit for medium of exchange. He also thinks it's cheap, so he's falling victim to the psychological unit bias, of course. Um but then if you read down into the replies, he, someone said, well, like, how much Bitcoin do you have and how much Doge do you have? And he didn't mention anything about Bitcoin, at least that I saw. And then he said, oh, well, I have like $454 worth of Doge. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> like, really? That's you're like hyping it up and you're this amped and that's your skin in the game. It's like you're, you're Mark Cuban and you have a few hundred bucks worth. Okay. Don't yeah. tell me what you believe. Show me what's in your portfolio. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny because he seems to be asking for pe publicly to help for, for people to help him understand Bitcoin, right? He's playing like, like he just goes out with these broadly inaccurate statements and seems to like trying to pick up some information about it. But this has been going on for a while. And uh, he doesn't seem to be picking up any information, but I think that's a good uh, point is that he doesn't own really any, any of, and he doesn't really own much of it. But, but that's the kind of thing that, but he obviously feels threatened by Bitcoin. Uh, so apparently does Elon Musk. So we have to ask, we have to ask ourselves, why do they feel threatened and um, understand that it might be something that's never, you can never overcome that, that, whatever it is that's stopping them from understanding what's going on here and they, they may never come to it you know um so um it's just they may, may never come come aboard i'm gonna lead uh when we hit hyper bitcoinization i'm gonna lead a campaign to buy a ban banana plantation for mark cuban <laughs> 
Well, you never know where the seed's going to take root, right? You mean, it, it, you know, the seed hit Michael Saylor and it turned into Michael Saylor and it, it hit Mark Cuban and it died. So you never know where it's going to get, you know, become fertile and grow. Yeah. And the, uh, there's that billionaire, I believe he's like the third or fourth richest person in Mexico. I can't recall his name, but um, he see, he's an example of another one where uh, seemed to get it and not just bullish on Bitcoin, but very specifically Bitcoin only. Yeah, Ricardo Price. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, there we uh, yeah, you're getting more and more, you know, people are coming out and saying it's Bitcoin only, whether it's Jack Dorsey or the government of El Salvador. And again, that should be a message to shitcoiners, you know, that not, not, so far no major player or state has mentioned anything but Bitcoin uh, for good reason. So uh, that should be another warning sign that uh, you, you might want to get out of Dodge. I mean, look what's happening to Bitcoin Satoshi Vision. It's just completely disappearing in real time. I think hash rates down to about zero. Uh, exchanges are dumping it, pools are dumping it. You know, this is the fate of all of these things. Yep. And when your blockchain's security model relies on a billionaire's ability to pay lawyers to go after people rather than uh, sound technical fundamentals and proof of work, you're going to have a bad time. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. I saw a funny tweet recently about proof of stake. Um, I guess Charles Hoskinson has a billion dollars of Cardano staked and is raking in $40 million a year. The man is good at putting logos on flyers. He's really good at marketing. Just don't ask what any of the details of any of those particular projects or logos mean because that is forbidden territory. But, but yeah, he's good at marketing, sadly. I think he's one of the worst out there. I think he's one of the most sinister, like with the stuff that they're doing in Ethiopia. It's pretty bad. That's what I worry about too, when it comes to places like El Salvador. Um, I think what El Salvador is doing is wonderful. Um, I'm optimistic it's going to position them really well geopolitically, but I also worry that it creates a lot of opportunity and incentive for shitcoiners to swoop in and try to uh, go on the ground to these vulnerable people who are looking for education on all of this stuff and convince them that their cryptocurrency is hot shit in order to uh, pump their coin and essentially exploit those people. And so it's good that we have organizations like Bitcoin Beach down in El Salvador doing the, the right kind of Bitcoin education. But, you know, it's a, it's a whole country and there's a lot of people out there. And so uh, the more Bitcoin educational content that we can all put out and that we can make accessible to people in those spots, the better. I'm, yeah, I'm going to push back on that because I think, um, like Max was talking earlier, Nigeria, I think people are able to distinguish in these countries are able to distinguish the difference between a shit coin and Bitcoin, you know, a lot easier than people in the US are, uh, because we have the benefits of this fiat monetary system, and people just um, and are dumb here, I guess, in their decision making, but uh so I'm, I'm pretty bullish on that. I, I think what's really, you know, scary with like the Cardano playbook is they're partnering with governments. Um, and I think that is kind of a, a scary point. 
So, but I'm super bullish on people around the world adopting Bitcoin and like being, well, they're getting forced into it. Kind of like Max was saying earlier, because the money printing is just so ridiculous. Yeah. And, and I'll definitely clarify that, like, I agree, they are extremely well positioned to understand the problems of the current fiat system. Like they feel the pain from the current fiat regime. Right. And so they are best positioned to be looking for alternatives. My concern is just that, you know, we have the lifeboat of Bitcoin. We have the arc of Bitcoin. Right. And there are these shit coiners out there who will see these people who they know are in a position of needing somewhere to store their wealth. And they're going to come up with this shitcoin lifeboat and try to paint it and like make it look snazzier than the Bitcoin lifeboat in some, uh, in some surface level ways. And my hope is they don't convince people to get in their lifeboat, which is uh, uh, not the right one. Right. Well, you know, shitcoins uh, wreck people all the time people get wrecked on shitcoin so we haven't yet seen a country get wrecked on a shitcoin but i'm sure we will you know and they'll learn a valuable lesson yep the end of the day hardest money is going to win yeah 100 percent agree max are you going to be wearing shorter shorts (laughs) yeah hell yeah that's one of the reasons (laughs) to come down here get the nice sun nice hot sweaty perfect for uh, exposing my gams are they progressively going to get shorter every show you go to it's it's hard to believe but there seems to be no end to how short my short shorts can go (laughs) love it bullish on thursday yeah yeah and you guys are going to be at classic crust pizza on wednesday um yeah we're going to drop by I don't want to spend too much time there because I tend to lose my voice quickly. So drop by, say hello to folks. And uh, definitely, yeah, classic crust pizza in Phoenix is the place to go to. If you're a Bitcoiner and you need a slice of za, you must go to classic crust pizza in Phoenix as soon as possible. That's my recommendation. I would plus one that. And they, they take Bitcoin, they take Lightning, but uh, we had a nice little shindig there that uh, the organizer and owner Alex put together um, on Bitcoin Pizza Day back in May, and there were a bunch of Bitcoiners. Yeah, plus they got some coupons uh, for free pizza at the event we're giving away. Thanks to Classic Crust Pizza in Phoenix. Love it. I think he was the first person in Arizona to start accepting Bitcoin. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, seems like he's he's been building the scene out here for a while. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Good stuff. They've got good pizza. Max, are you guys got any thoughts on what's happening in Afghanistan right now? People have been asking in the chat. Right. Well, you know, I lived through this with the Saigon uh, airlift, you know, uh, the, um, the CIA, which is a uh, function of the government. We, uh, we certainly fund them quite heavily. They, they seem to have been caught completely by surprise by all this, which is surprising. I mean, the president uh, just a couple of days ago was saying, or a week ago or so was saying how, yeah, in three months we're gonna be winding down. And so it's a bit disheartening to see the US government completely, completely caught flat footed and for the chaos that has erupted. But um, 
it, but then again, it's not that surprising because the whole the whole mission was ill conceived, and the whole twenty year you know, occupation was without a lot of uh, kind of uh, thought seemingly put into it. And uh, you know, th this is uh, well. And going forward, though, and I, I think geopolitically, what we'll see is uh, in in the vacuum that once. Once uh, the U.S. is out, I think you know you'll see like China will will probably actually move in, and they've got a kind of a plan for uh, the One Belt One Road Initiative, which would extend from Europe through Eurasia all the way east to China, running through Afghanistan. So there is kind of a business plan. So China has a business plan. The U.S. never really had a business plan other than uh, they. I don't know what the plan was. They, they just went in there and. I don't think there was ever a plan. Uh, at least China seems to have a business plan, so that's a good first step for them. Yeah, it's it's wild. I, you had a tweet this morning um, that I really liked, asking how what percentage of Americans will take responsibility or realize the responsibility falls on them for this event. Right. So the Atlantic. Right. Magazine just came out with a piece today saying essentially, hey, you know, America, this is on you, uh, kind of going into a lot of depth and, and, and talking about what's the history and what's going on there. But we know, I'm pretty sure, based on our observation of mainstream media and the political class in the US, that because this is really inconvenient truth, within a couple of weeks, we won't even hear it mentioned on on uh, mainstream media. They'll just try to completely forget about it. It won't be mentioned. It'll just be try to be sweep it under the rug like it never happened. Uh, and then within a few months, we'll get the propaganda out that'll be like it was heroic adventure, and the president is a hero. And we'll have a Hollywood movie come out, you know, celebrating our heroic journey in Afghanistan. And it'll be Sylvester Stallone, Rambo Part Nine, and uh, you know, Black Hawk Down. But you know, it'll be falafel hawk down you know and that'll be celebrating uh, uh, the sniper remember that one that was another uh, revisionist look at uh, america's military past uh and uh you know the revisionism uh, we'll, we'll start we'll industry will kick in pretty hard pretty soon uh so uh and, and blame everybody blame everybody but 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 ourselves type of thing so i've seen this now for i'm um, 61 years old so I've been politically conscious, you know, for more than 40 years, and I've seen this movie before. Uh, it gets worse and worse with every remake. This is like, you know, RoboCop Part Nine, Rocky Part 17. Right? They they don't get better as they age. You know, they they kind of get worse. Yeah, to your point, I think this is the part where uh, where they make the history textbook printer go burr with the narrative <laughs> that they want. Right. Yeah, exactly right. So uh, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to see this play out. So the president is making a statement, I guess, coming coming out quickly, uh, pretty soon. Um, and um, at the, but I, as I said before, before making any statement about this at all, the what, only thing we've heard out of the White House in the last 72 hours is how they're increasing food stamps by 25%, the biggest increase ever in food stamp history. So they're already like telling people out there, I'm about to say some really outrageous, stupid shit, but just nod your head like a stupid dog in the window of a pet shop and I'll send you more free food stamps. Okay, America, I've got this. Thank you, Joe Biden.
Totally. <laughs> There's also a good uh, Bitcoiner. I don't know if you all follow Janie Gack. Um, she's like at Janie Gack on Twitter, but she's a good Bitcoiner and she's on the ground over there in Kabul and has a very interesting perspective on, uh, on things that doesn't exactly match the mainstream narrative that you'll see on CNN um, that most of America gets. So she's a good Twitter follow. Oh, check it out. This is the thing that's maddening with trying to figure out what's going on abroad. I experienced this a lot with like the Ukrainian uh, civil war when it first started, because I had a lot of uh, friends out there um, that were posting about what was happening and like Odessa and having to leave and stuff like that. And just getting the, the whatever narrative that's convenient um, thrown our way. And it's, it, that was kind of like a major wake up for me because I used to live out there and have some attachment to it. But, but yeah, they're going to have to start uh, with the revisionism. They're going to have to start having digital textbooks here pretty soon to be able to change it super quickly. I mean, the, yeah, the challenge of our age seems to be determining truth, like finding truth in a sea of abundant information and where anyone can post anything, right? And uh, for decades, that hasn't been the case. We've had a few channels of information uh, that come out through the radio and the TV, and those were highly regulated. And I think the world just got used to assuming that fact-checking was happening and, and that that was being vetted. And so all of the muscles that we as humans have had for doing critical thinking when we receive information and considering whether something is true or not and making that determination for ourselves, those muscles have atrophied for decades. And now we're abruptly in this place of the internet and no one can stop this flow of information effectively. And so we're really quickly, all, all this chaos, I think, is just us collectively realizing that we haven't worked those muscles in a while. And now we have to. Yeah, absolutely. The, the muscles of critical thinking have atrophied. You know, it's well put. It's exactly what's happening. And you can see how it works. You know, you, you're reading a story about, let's say, tragedy somewhere in the world. And then, beep, there's a meme of a kitty cat fighting with a bird in a bird bath somewhere. And it's gaslighting, right? You're like, your mind is like now totally distracted. Now your emotions are weird. Like, oh, isn't that kitty so cute? But you were just feeling tragic about the tragedy. And then, oh, then you go back to the tragedy. So you get this emotional whiplash, information uh, overload. You know, your immune system to bad ideas is breaking down. And so it's just everyone's like this amorphous blob that's just connected digitally and responding like starlings murmurating over your town to waves and waves of, of propaganda. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Thank you, public schools. <laughs> well, public schools, you know, I happen to, if I might jump in here, you know, I mean, public schools, is, you know, when I was in public school, elementary school, I think it was the beginning when corporations used to come in and kind of they've taken over the public school, right? So we used to, like, they were very big on promoting uh, junk food, you know, that was a, because they come in and they say, let us handle your cafeteria needs. Oh, by the way, we're going to sell you these, this, this junk food. Um, let us handle, you know, we're going to starve the public school of funding, let a corporation come in there and handle all your audiovisual needs. And by the way, here's a package of stuff that you're going to play on these audiovisual needs, right? So it, it, it's, there's something to be said about having a base 
education for everybody that is accessible and well managed right i mean everyone should read all the classics you know from plutarch through you know uh malcolm mclaren and the sex pistols and be conversant in a basic understanding of history and that can be done cheaply and uh, it should be accessible by everybody and you don't need any corporate infiltration um so there there is a way to do that i mean um, which I think serves a community at the end of the day, right? So I'm not one of these anarcho-capitalists that think that all government is to be abolished. I think we, the people, we vote for our governance model. There's a social contract. We let you do what you do in exchange for certain things. And one of those things should be allowing uh, the youth, the children, the ability to, to uh, get educated. Um, and, and by that, I mean, um, we are Western people sitting on 2,700 years of Western knowledge uh, and art and science uh, that over the course of 15 or 16 years, the average person can grok. They can leave high school with being somewhat educated, right? So, um, but we don't really have, just like we don't have free market capitalism, it's been taken over by money printers. We don't really have a public education either. We have whatever it is. It's just junk food, in indoctrination, if you will. Um, so um, that you know, but but at the end of the day, though, uh, you, you do have the situation as as uh, Stephen's talking about, where nobody at this point, your 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 ability to fend off misinformation has just completely collapsed, and people are are just living in hell as far as information goes. Definitely. I probably lean more toward the anarcho-capitalist side on some of those issues, but I think 80% of the ways in which my, like the anarchists of the world and the anarcho-capitalists of the world would, would make change are mirror just most conservatives, right? Or most... Um, uh, most libertarians. Um, so I think a lot of people get hung up on like, you know, who's going to build the roads? Are we going to eliminate libraries? Are we going to eliminate schools? And I'm sort of like, that's an interesting discussion that gets really nuanced. It's fun to talk about, but let's start with just this whole military industrial complex and the, the you know, department of defense that sometimes functions more as a department of offense. And we can get to the other interesting stuff later. Well, look, look at the Bitcoin protocol. It's the most governed set of monetary policies ever in history algorithmically yep. predetermined path determinant heading in a yeah. in a direction but it provides freedom but at its core it has in in its immutable uh set of uh, algorithmic uh you know code that's in, in embedded in, in the protocol right so um that's not um uh, that's not anarchy right it's the the last it's the furthest thing from anarchy so but it does but it works it, it provides freedom so you know that governance it, it's the best governance model that ultimately kills the nation state i mean the nation state tries to provide uh, a set of rules to, like in the united states for example you know that was an attempt to create a governance model that was that that opened up entrepreneurialism and free markets and things like that. And unfortunately, it's been co-opted by different different influences. 
So, but but here with the the Bitcoin protocol, because it, it's global, it is a base layer economy, and it does provide sovereignty on an individual basis. So then, it not only challenges fiat money, but it also challenges the whole. I think that I see Bitcoin as a breakthrough in. Uh, oh, I think uh, I think maybe we lost Alex. Um, here he's back. Ah, there we go. Are we still, yeah, I think we're still live. Um, Why are you gaslighting me, man? So, <laughs> I can't take it. I'm losing my mind. What's, what's true? What is true? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, so I am excited about Bitcoin as a defensive technology, uh, a breakthrough in defensive technology finally lets individuals protect their wealth from the nation state. Um, they can certainly, you know, seize it. They can torture individuals. They can do horrible things and perhaps get them to hand over their Bitcoin, but they cannot just cheaply and freely and quietly extract it from the masses at large scale. And so I think that makes the, the whole nation state paradigm unsustainable, too costly, and they simply will not be able to, to do it in the future. Agreed. For me personally, it's kind of hard to. Uh, you sound you sound a little bit muffled, Alex. I can't understand you. Is that better? Much better. Okay, cool. There you go. Yeah, I think what it comes down to at the end of the day is it's about personal responsibility and doing what's best for you. You know, and I think a lot of people are waking up to that. Like sending their kids to schools is not very helpful for them in our current state of where they're at. And, um, and I see Bitcoin as like the biggest empowerment, you know, it's political speech, money is speech and, uh, people that don't have money, don't have a voice. And, uh, Bitcoin allows for you to not be a wage slave more so than, yeah, yeah more so than other assets but, because you have actual ownership over it. So, yeah, I agree. It's interesting to think about what that future is going to look like and, all I know is I think it'll be a lot more localized and there will be a lot more accountability. That makes sense. So kind of wrapping up, what's got you guys bullish? Uh, what's got me bullish? A few, I mean, a lot of stuff has me bullish. I think um, the potential for a Bitcoin ETF to be approved, uh, I think it's mostly a matter of when, not if, and uh, the odds of that seem to be increasing. Um, I think there will be another, you know, big corporate adopter of Bitcoin sometime within the next six months. And those two things combined make me really bullish on the Bitcoin price uh, in the near to medium term. And then just technologically, I love seeing us continue to build up the stack, right? So Lightning has really been validated over the last, uh, the last 18 months or so. And we're seeing what Strike and Jack Mahlers are doing in places like El Salvador. And now we're even starting to see layers develop on top of Lightning. So Lightning is a Bitcoin layer two. And now we're seeing platforms like Impervious AI, which is developing a layer three on top of Lightning making it easier for developers to build apps that sort of inherit the security, uh, the encryption, the decentralization benefits from that Bitcoin and Lightning bring, um, but just make it easier to build apps, build decentralized VPNs, stream content and be compensated in sats for it. So uh, it's, it's cool to see. Um, and I think the more that we do that, the more that the ecosystem grows up the stack, the more gravity Bitcoin has, and the more 
life gets sort of sucked out of shit coins. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, well said. So the uh, what's happening in El Salvador and Nigeria with lightning and the, uh, the layer two and layer three, it's it's all kicking in now, and it does, you know, put 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 the all the shit coins kind of in 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 a negative light in in a, in a big way because there's something really that they're offering, and so that's a lot of capital that that's going to be flowing into Bitcoin. You know, the, the recent wrangling in Congress about some of the legislation surrounding Bitcoin, it's interesting that they kind of carved out Bitcoin and saying like, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, but these other things like proof of stake and other, other things, you know, we actually maybe can, you know, look at more closely at them. I think they are vulnerable to regulation. You know, when I say that people say, oh, you know, you shouldn't be rooting for regulation. Uh, I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is that the reality is that those projects are open to being regulated out of existence, right? So I know that, that supposedly there's a grandfather clause protecting Ethereum, but you know, the fact is it's, a, uh, it's an unregistered security sale and uh, it, it should be addressed as such. And um, that's true you know, for lots and lots of these things. And, but, but more importantly, I just think that the capital is gonna flow out of them because as other countries adopt Bitcoin, um, you know the leisure class in America, the shitcoining leisure class, is going to going to figure out that this is where the action ultimately is going to be anyway. So that it'll just migrate that accordingly. Yep, makes a lot of sense. I'm bullish because Max and Stacy are coming to are here in Arizona. We're gonna have a great event. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> love to see it. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah cool cool uh, is there any any laws in the in the arizona about there being like absolutely completely naked on stage <laughs> uh, you know don't ask for permission ask for forgiveness you know they have do they have they must have uh yeah i'll, I'll look into that. Uh, that that actually might prevent the stop a lot of people from coming so i have to think twice about that <laughs> cost benefit analysis <laughs> <laughs> too much information gg allen could do it anybody can gg allen okay i'll look that up he's like uh, good stuff this is fun. Just, yeah he was a wild dude but yeah cool. well i really appreciate your time guys thanks for agreeing to this on such short notice yeah this has been fun thanks for putting this together alex yeah a lot good of times guys super looking forward to seeing you both thursday that was a really great conversation with Max and Steven. Had a lot of fun, and I am really looking forward to seeing both of them in person up in Phoenix on Thursday at the event. And you can find that event on uh, Eventbrite if you just search for Max Kaiser Phoenix. Uh, but yeah, it was fun getting into it, and I think we just... The stakes are so high right now. Like Max was talking about how... Uh, these central bankers are attempting to create a permanent underclass of people that just can't get out from under, you know, this thing. That's essentially what they're doing right now. They're just going and robbing and looting, you know, all of the assets. And they're being successful. And Bitcoin is the way to, to stand in the way of that and to protect yourself uh, from just being doomed to being poor. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the alternative is to have fun staying poor somehow. But 
yeah, we're we're moving. We're, this movement is growing. It's not going away. You know, they can try and pass negative uh, regulation or whatever, but people need to preserve um, their livelihoods. People are going to preserve their livelihoods, and I'm super, super bullish on that, and I'm super bearish on, you know, these maniacs, these psychopaths that are in government trying to stop it, and we're going to win. We're going to win this battle. Super stoked. Anyways, big thank you to Steven and Max for coming on. Really hope you enjoyed this conversation.